and many of these other therapies that are similar in size and scope. You know, still, uh, sickle cell is the largest blood disorder and yet the least unfunded. And it happens to be black and brown makes me concerned that we need to look closer our, ourselves as to why we're not doing more funding on it. Welcome to Healthy Conversations. Today I'm in Healthy Conversations with Joel Helley, the Vice President of Physician Services for CVS Health. Just give us a flavor uh, and tell us a bit about your role at, at CVS Health. So a pharmacist by training, I've been with the organization for 26 years. Uh, I've really always been in the physician space and out in doctor's offices. Today I own a bunch of things. One is our relationships with physicians in the specialty world, as well as our relationships with uh, patient support groups in the specialty world. And then most recently, over the last eight months or so, sort of health equity at Caremark. What do you mean by specialty pharma? Specialty pharmacy means drugs that are A, really, really expensive, so probably more than $8,000 a year, $7,000 a year, often might need special handling like refrigeration. It might need additional education for uh, patients like injection training. And those drugs are considered specialty drugs that you typically can't get from your regular retail pharmacy. Maybe touch on how has the role of the pharmacist, maybe since you finished your pharmacy degree, evolved? Well, geez, you know, when I got out of pharmacy school, it was filled prescriptions and, you know, work in the pharmacy and I worked at CVS way back when. And now I think there's a huge, I would say, change in pharmacy. We have so many pharmacists that become an expert within a particular condition. Those pharmacists do sickle cell all day, they do cancer all day, they do hemophilia all day. And so it becomes this niche type of uh, learning for pharmacists to really understand what's different about these uh, different disease states that they might not have learned in school. I guess a lot more uh, options for pharmacists in today's world. That means that the sort of the way pharmacists work, whether it's inpatient, outpatient, in a PBM, etc., is is shifting. And we're here to talk particularly about you know sickle cell and sickle cell patients and their management. Um, anything you've seen that's come up uh, about the culture of health and medicine and how that might be impacting the the sickle cell patients and the clinicians you deal with who are helping manage them? Sickle cell is this sort of heartbreaking disease that folks are born with, but it manifests itself very often in pain. And it's black and brown people um, that are affected by sickle cell. And as they get older, they often drop off therapy and they move to different areas where they might not have a sickle cell center, because I think there's only about you know 15 or 20 of them across the country. And when they fall off care and this pain comes, this cruciating pain, they have to go to the ER. And when they go to the ER, they very often are dealing with physicians that might not know that much about sickle cell. And why that is concerning is when we talk to Sickle Cell Association, you know, they tell us stories about patients who have sickle cell going in a major crisis and they get walked out by security out of the hospital because they don't believe that they're in pain and think that they're a drug seeker. And additionally, the Sickle Cell Association told us that they tell people dress up, like make sure you dress nice when you go to the ER so that you don't get treated terribly. And so there's a great opportunity there, you know, to understand why that is in the culture of medicine and why we treat people that are black or brown maybe differently and what that means and how to treat those patients and make, make sure that they get, um, you know, equitable care and get treated appropriately. 
You know, there's about 100,000 or so individuals with sickle cell in the United States alone. I'm trained as a pediatric hematologist, oncologist, certainly dealt with many sickle cell patients. And again, as you mentioned, many may see one in an ER once a month or sometimes every evening. There's organ failure from sickling, needs for blood transfusions, et cetera. Are there sort of um, some key lessons you wish most healthcare providers would know that isn't often top of mind? I think everybody learned in school, right, sickle cell, the, the blood cells are like a sickle, right, which means when they go anywhere and they travel around your body, they not only can cause pain, but they can cause strokes, you know, they can cause all kinds of different issues in, in hearts, lungs, kidneys, et cetera, across the body. But more importantly, I think it's never too late to learn for all of us. And we're actually in the process right now of creating our own educational libraries, for our own nurses and pharmacists and educators who aren't typically around sickle cell patients. So if it does, you know, come to them that they have a better, you know, sort of understanding of how to think about sickle cell. So is that one of the reasons you chose this particular disease to focus on? You've got sort of the disparities, often racial, you've got the challenges of not having a biomarker for pain in many cases. Are there ways that you've seen clinicians, providers of all sorts sort of up level and make change? For years, there was no new drugs to treat the underlying cause of, you know, sickle cell. And I think in like late 2019 is when we first saw like new drugs to come treat it. And so that, and that's in the specialty world. And so all of a sudden, you know, we have these new clinicians that never knew sickle, sickle cell before to get out there and learn what's different now than it was 40 years ago. And it includes monoclonal antibodies, Right, that can be infused in the hospital or infused at home, which is sort of, especially now with COVID. Frankly, when I first got into this related to sickle cell, and we started to talk to hospitals and institutions across the country, and they were so excited to talk to a pharmacy partner. They were like, we've never had a pharmacy partner, and we don't have the data for some of the sort of basic things around hydroxyurea and some of the drugs that are used to treat sickle cell to understand if patients are on it, are they adhering to it? Do they take it every day? So all that data very often isn't even available to physicians who do know all about sickle cell. We have this huge opportunity and we're on this sort of pathway and journey to gene therapy, right? Which could be a cure if it you know, makes it to the market. And I think we've seen some good clinical trials, but already in the community, when we talk to the Sickle Cell Association, there's hesitancy about what might be a cure. And it's really related to a couple things. One is, you know, trust within the black and brown communities. And then second is uh, 60 Minutes had done a, you know, a 20 minute thing on sickle cell. And they talked, talked about the HIV virus and how they altered it and they put it back in the body. And lo and behold, it was a cure. We're going to already have to make sure people understand that we're not giving people HIV and we're not putting HIV back in your body and what gene therapy will mean. The learning curve in sickle cell is changing by the moment, and I'm super excited to be part of it because I really feel like we can make like a big change and a big difference here within uh, sickle cell. You know, you used the word, you know, beginning of the end in a sense with some of these emerging, you know, very exciting what look to be cures using genetic modification of hematopoietic stem cells and fixing the core root problem so your hemoglobin is no longer sickled. Uh, cause of sickling is looking extremely promising, but as you brought up, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, not just disparities in accepting uh, next generation therapies, but uh, misinformation, um, the challenge just like we have with the COVID pandemic and vaccine hesitancy, even when you might have a cure or something hugely preventative in terms of vaccine, getting folks to understand it. And certainly 
with some of the sort of the, the, the baggage from whether it's Tuskegee, particularly when they're new and might be tied, let's say, to HIV, it's an it's a interesting challenge. Are you finding that the, the role of the pharmacist, the role of the PBM, the role of the CVS, you know, can help you know, mitigate and educate these patients? One is we need to, right? And we have this huge opportunity with the breadth of assets we have at CVS to make a difference here. You know, we've got nearly 10,000 stores out there across the country. And how do we get closer to the community to understand how they want to be impacted? We learned from COVID, like you mentioned, that black people want to learn from black people and brown people want to learn from brown people about their options. I talked to National Black Church Association last week and another opportunity to for us to think differently about how we educate both patients as well as those communities around the new treatments and around what's available. To learn how to influence it instead of one size fits all has very often been programs that we have. Let's go to local communities and understand what the specialists in those areas are saying about sickle cell and how we might think about programs differently. Traditionally, sickle cell research has been generally underfunded. Any kind of perspectives on um, the funding situation and how we might catalyze everything across the, the, the continuum from prevention to understanding to, to therapy to, to cure? And many of these other therapies that are similar in size and scope, you know, uh, sickle cell is the largest blood disorder and yet the least unfunded. And it happens to be black and brown makes me concerned that we need to look closer ourselves as to why we're not doing more funding on it. I feel like because of gene therapy and whatever, like we're on the cusp, uh, we could really make some effort and make some change here. But we have to get education and information out to physicians, pharmacists, nurses, et cetera, everyone out there around all this new sort of exciting technology that I certainly never learned in school. And things like trait testing is extremely important. And we've been working with the local Connecticut organization. You know, they've seen significant increases in babies born with sickle cell because of non-trait testing. And I think we need to find a way as an organization, CVS Health, to help there. How can we do that? We have what we call workforce initiatives where we're out in communities. There's one in Hartford where we're helping people to get jobs. At the same time when we're there, we can provide people information about trade testing. In fact, I was talking to our colleague resource group this morning and there was a woman on there who said, you know, I have the trait. And in my family, when we were kids, everybody talked about it and everybody would get it, you know, when they got married. And for some reason that's dissipated within our community. And we need to go learn more why, but those are the things we need. If it's dissipated, how can we help as an enterprise to get more trait testing to happen out there? And we need to learn first from the community themselves why it's not happening, and then put in tools and ways and education and information to make it happen. Anything that's sort of top of mind in your own work when it comes to sickle cell disease right now? You know, the opioid crisis has created angst for this community because they get treated differently now to be on opioids. And how do we help pharmacists and stores, not just CVSs, but all pharmacists and stores understand what it means to be on opioids, you know, for a sickle cell patient. Have you seen any kind of creative ways that can help manage a pain crisis that don't go right to the opiate? We have pain scales that you can talk about in an app to help physicians and other clinicians who are helping you manage your pain understand what it means as you're going through the crisis to get to a place where uh, we can hopefully manage the pain to get off the opioid and then go, you know, back after the crisis is over, go back to normal. And it's very simple and easy to use. 
and then it tracks it over time, which then would go to the doctor. And then the doctor would have the information around pain over time, how it's happening, and get a good feel for how their patients are doing. We have new platforms that connect to doctors through their EHR to make it easier and smoother to get started on medication, to continuing on medication. If you need an infusion at home, for example, of a monoclonal antibody, we can make that path and that process easier through A, connecting to the doctor, and then B, connecting to the patient through either text or app, et cetera, to kind of bring healthcare into the you know 21st century here and not be faxed and, and back and forth phone calls when nobody picks up their phone. So those trends can really change what we're doing in sickle cell, I believe. Yeah, 100%. And you know what's funny? Similar to hemophilia, you know, sickle cell, not everybody's the same. There's a wide range of, you know, people who get severe, severe debilitating pain. I was talking to a mother the other day who her daughter never had any pain. So she didn't feel like she had to be on hydroxyurea at all until she had a stroke, right? And then realized, oh my God, there's other, you know, things that are happening in my body. So there's a whole host of other things that we could do to support those patients. Are you seeing any ways that that can integrate with the pharmacist, uh, with the specialty clinic, with the hematologist that really can help you know, shift sickle cell care from one size fits all and intermittent and episodic and reactive to one that's much more continuous and personalized and proactive. It can really start to bring care anytime, anywhere. We're building now uh, within the sickle cell sort of world, I'll call it, additional tools within the app to help support these patients. So one is around, you know, hydroxyurea and adherence and, you know, reminders, that type of stuff to take it every day, et cetera, reminders to get, you know, a stroke test once a year, giving your doctor a good picture of, you know, what's happening related to opioid use. And even, you know, going to pharmacies and ERs, et cetera, I'm going to say like proving that you actually have sickle cell, because sometimes that's the case is how do I tell this doctor I really do have sickle cell? And these apps in other places can can show a doctor over time and that you really are a sickle cell patient. And I think can really change the the treatment of those patients when they do go through crises, both in the pharmacies and the hospitals and the ERs, et cetera, with people who might not be familiar as much with sickle cell. One of the things often, you know, physicians or others in the ER resent is when the patient comes in and says, I need exactly eight milligrams of this drug right now to manage my pain. But often they do know best. And particularly if the electronic medical records and systems can help cross-connect yes. and validate that, that can play a role. For getting started on a specialty drug, if you did have to go, have to go there, I think we're connected into about 50% of sort of prescribing doctors have access to about 80% of EHRs now. So over time, the ability to sort of pull that information, understand what's happening, provide it to the payer who's often trying to determine if they want to cover it, we can do a lot of that quicker, faster, easier when someone's in the middle of a crisis. Three years ago, certainly five years ago, we were connected to zero doctors. Uh, and now we're connected to more than 50% on this journey to probably 80% on this bigger journey to everyone because the government, et cetera, is helping us now to sort of, I guess say, force everyone to get connected. CVS is ahead of the, I would say, curve here in connecting to doctors and having the information available to be able to provide to payers to understand what's going on with a sickle cell patient and get them their medication quicker, sooner, faster. Anything new coming, any previews that you want to share, even if it's you know early, early in the process? I mentioned monoclonal antibodies being infused at home. What I found interesting is that even the doctors that we talk to who do sickle cell every day at Duke and 
St. Jude didn't realize that patients could be infused at home with the monoclonal antibody. And, and what he said to us is like, wow, Joel, like that's unbelievable because, you know, some of these patients live 50 miles away, 70 miles away from coming to the hospital to have the infusion. And they're like, I'm not doing it, even though it could completely pull them out of a crisis and make them better. And so that kind of information and education and tools for people to understand that's available is really up to me, I think, and my team within the enterprise to make sure we're making physicians aware. And then our national and sort of local partnerships with these patient support groups is we really need to spend more time with them to understand even locally what's different about Atlanta versus Boston versus um, Chicago, et cetera, in those areas to influence and, and educate both physicians and patients perhaps differently. Like I mentioned before, one size does not fit all. You know, speaking of infusions, there's some new technologies evolving, essentially a sort of a little robotic pill that the swallow goes into your gut in the right location, injects the biologic right into the gut wall. Uh, it's in clinical trials now, a company called Ranny Technologies. The only reason I know this is because it's my uncle. He's working with this pharma company right now. You swallow the pill, and actually you hold a magnet out on your stomach here, and it keeps it there, and it's a slow-release thing that stays within your gut because it's only need to be released in the gut for that particular drug. And then after, I think, nine hours is gone, you take the magnet off and it comes out the other side. So yeah, I mean, there's amazing you know, new technologies coming out every day, and that one's as simple as a magnet, right? And uh, you can imagine the, the, just an outpatient visit for, uh, for long-term cures. Hemophilia, HIV, sickle cell, there's so many different you know, things that probably, I think within my lifetime, we will see cures to, right? And so I, I hope that that's true. Well, thanks Joel so much for being with us on Healthy Conversations. Thanks for your great work. Uh, on behalf of sickle cell patients and uh, the community. And let's uh, hopefully build a brighter future for, for sickle cell and other diseases across the continuum. Yeah, and thank you for having me today. It's nice to be talking to someone who knows so much about it. So thank you so much for having me.